Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of the Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever, and I'm a member of AAM's investment team. Today, Marco Bravo will provide AAM's latest views on the economy, and then Garrett Dungey will join us to discuss a topic I think our life insurance clients will find particularly interesting, and that's long-duration targeted improvements. Um, so with that out of the way, welcome, Marco. Thanks, Pat. Yep. So um, we last spoke about three weeks ago, so I wanted to give a little bit of backdrop on the markets since then. Uh, yields across the Treasury curve have declined by between 25 and 40 basis points. Risk assets are up anywhere between 2 and 5%, and the VIX is down more than 15%. So uh, markets have, uh, have done well since mid-November. Um, what I want to talk about today is the labor uh, market. Um, help us make sense of the, the labor reports from Friday. On our last podcast, you said that upward pressure on prices is coming from the services portion of the economy, and that was a function of continuing strong wages. And you went on to say that the labor surveys have not loosened, and that should keep upward pressure on wages. So what did we learn about wage growth from Friday's jobs report? Sure. So the uh, the November employment report, uh, which was released on Friday, uh, showed a, a much stronger than expected increase in aver- average hourly earnings, which were up 0.6% month over month. The consensus was calling for a 0.3% uh, monthly increase. Um, and so with the 0.6% increase for November, that puts wage growth at uh, 5.1%, up 5.1% on a year-over-year basis. So what we, what we see is uh, continued strong demand for workers, especially within uh, service-related cate- uh, categories, uh, which likely uh, contributes to the increase in wages that we're seeing. Okay, so that being the case, uh, inflation, at least from the the labor component, should remain uh, probably pretty robust. Um, okay, let's spend a minute reminding everyone about the difference between the establishment survey and the household survey, if you don't mind. Sure. So, so most. Most economists, um, when they when they receive the employment report uh, on a monthly basis, kind of look at some key figures. That would be uh, payroll growth, uh, average hourly earnings, as as we just discussed, uh, and the unemployment rate. And the data for these three figures 
comes from two different surveys. So one is what they call the establishment survey, which basically uses payroll data um, to collect uh, data with respect to the number of people that are employed. Uh, and they also collect data on the number of hours being worked and, and earnings. The other survey is the household survey. Uh, that data is collected by the U.S. Census uh, Bureau, uh, in which they survey about 60,000 households uh, to determine their employment status. Um, and through this survey, they, they classify people as either employed, unemployed, or not in the labor force. The, the establishment survey, the payroll survey, uh, provides for a much larger sample size than the household survey, but <clears throat> uh, the household survey would include workers within the agricultural sector, uh, workers that are self-employed, uh, who businesses are unincorporated, and also private household workers. So there's, uh, there's pros and cons uh, for both. Okay. Uh, I know you've talked about this topic in the past, so I thought it was worth uh, reviewing because on Friday there was kind of a discrepancy between the two reports. Uh, the establishment survey, or the one that you mentioned, provides the payroll data, indicated some strength, while the household survey uh, showed, I call it weakness. Uh, and I was just wondering if you could explain why you think there was a discrepancy. Uh, sure. So it's definitely the case where the two surveys uh, have been sending kind of mixed signals regarding employment. For the month in November, particularly, um, just to put some numbers uh, to the discussion, the uh, payroll or the establishment survey showed 260,000, 263,000 new jobs, uh, while the household data uh, showed that decline of the number of people employed by roughly 138,000. So there's the, the mixed signals that I just alluded to. And it, it appears that the difference really could be explained by those categories that I just mentioned that are included in the household survey that are not included in the establishment survey. So uh, for example, the household survey um, that decline in the number of employed people reflected a reduction in self-employed workers. Uh, those workers are not included in the, uh, in the payroll data. So that along with some other, <clears throat> uh, some um, additional differences that when you adjust uh, for those differences, uh, the household measure would have been up 228,000. So that would have been more kind of closer in line with the uh, the establishment data. I think that I think to I think what we need to keep in mind is the the, the data will diverge uh, on a month over month basis. But I think what's key is is the trend, um, you know, and what we what we've seen in the past uh, when the data uh, does send mixed signals that over time uh, the trend tends to be very similar. Okay, well, let's let's. And on one last question, then, what do you think that trend is signaling right now? Is it a positive trend or a negative one? 
Well, I think the, the message from the employment data continues to be one of where the <clears throat> labor market remains uh, very resilient, uh, even in the in the face of rising interest rates and tightening financial conditions. So we've yet to see much loosening uh, in labor market conditions. Um, as, as you correctly mentioned earlier, uh, we think that provides um, upside risks to inflation, especially through earnings. And so uh, we're likely to expect more aggressive rate hikes from the Fed uh, in order to get inflation lower, and and that definitely puts upside risks uh, to interest rates. Okay, Marco, uh, thanks a lot for helping to clarify a uh, what at times can be a confusing topic, but one that's going to have a big impact on future Fed actions. So thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Matt. Next up, we're joined by Garrett Dungey, a senior corporate analyst and member of the investment team at AAM. So how are you doing today, Garrett? Hey, not too bad, Pat. Good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good to have you. Um, one of the sectors you're responsible for at AAM is the insurance industry. And I think today's topic is one of those items that our listeners probably will find particularly interesting because it's likely to affect them directly and and that's long duration targeted improvements so um, maybe you can provide us with a bit of background on this topic and uh, why you think it's important for the listener and and any rationale for upcoming improvements yeah of course Um, so I think um, it, it kind of all goes back to 2013 um, FASB introduced a, uh, a draft with proposed changes to insurance uh, contract accounting. Uh, the main reason behind this was, you know, gap accounting, which is way too complicated for investors uh, and stakeholders. Um, the existing gap model just doesn't do the best job of providing uh, information for investors to analyze insurance companies. Um, one example being you know, comparing their results from quarter to quarter, also uh, trying to compare results to other companies. So, you know, as management teams have tried to help investors uh, by making adjustments to these gap results to make it more economic, um, you know, there's just uh, the concern that, you know, you have potentially these non-gap measures also subject to changes from management from quarter to quarter, and then these measures tend to differ from company to company, making them hard to compare. So, you know, quite the quagmire there when you look at, you know, the current state of gap accounting for life insurers and these long duration uh, contracts. Um, So, you know, it it typically involves as an analyst looking at these companies, you know, accounting for a lot of um, different mismatches uh, when you look at, their earnings results uh, from quarter to quarter since the liabilities on their balance sheet, these long duration contracts don't really reflect the intrinsic or economic value. So the solution that we came up with um, introduced and rolled out in 2018 uh, is called ASU 2018-12. 
Uh, this is more commonly known as long duration targeted improvements or LDTI. And the hope is that these targeted improvements, you know, would help to improve and simplify the financial reporting and solve a lot of the issues I've just noted, um, really providing greater transparency into these life insurers balance sheets. Um, and I think LDTI is likely to do that, um, but uh, this is the largest accounting change for life insurers in decades. So it's gonna take some time for the investors and uh, stakeholders alike to become comfortable uh, with these changes that will go into effect on January 1st, 2023 for uh, large public SEC filers. And then others that are that do file with the SEC um, that are smaller will have the um, opportunity to adopt the standard um, in January 2025. Uh, and this will result in uh, the financial statements um, um, from fiscal year 2022, uh, dating back to fiscal year 2020 being reinstated. I gotcha. So uh, this is uh, a policy change implemented by FASB for life insurance companies, and you expect most of the changes to take place, or I should say, you expect them to be implemented for large life insurance companies starting on January 1st, 2023. Is that right? Yes, correct. And so uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about what are some of these key targeted improvements that FASB is trying to implement here? Yeah, um, I, th- I think um, I think it's worth noting uh, before we go into these four areas of improvements that FASB has targeted, um, these improvements may only apply to certain long duration uh, insurance contracts. So I'll try to distinguish those as we move through uh, the, the four improvements. Um, but the first area, uh, it's called uh, liability for future policyholder benefits. Uh, and there's two main areas here, um, the discount rate and then cash flow assumptions. Um, starting with the, the first one, the discount rate, um, this really only applies to uh, long-term contracts that typically carry uh, uh, insurance-type risks like morbidity and mortality. Uh, that being, you know, term uh, life, whole life, long-term care, and PRTs. And companies will uh, now have to use a single A rated corporate bond uh, yield curve when establishing their reserves for these types of contracts. Uh, and then that discount rate will be updated um, every quarter. And that resulting change and then liability as a result from that discount rate changing will be reflected in other comprehensive income or AO, AOCI. Okay. Um, you know, this differs from the prior way where the insurer was able to kind of set that discount rate based on what they expected to earn in their investment portfolio. So you can imagine um, looking from insurer's portfolios, uh, portfolio um you, you might see some differences there. So um, this makes it a, I would say more standard across different insurers uh, using a similar discount rate methodology. Okay. 
Um, the second change, uh, uh, sorry, the second part of this change is cash flow assumptions like mortality, morbidity, and lapse assumptions. Uh, these will no be this. These will no longer be locked in from policy issuance and will need to be update, updated annually. Um, and if there's a change in the liability estimate um, as a result of experience, um, um, there's they, these are going to flow through uh, net income. So um, that's a big change uh, compared to you know these assumptions were typically locked in. Uh, at policy issuance for life unless there was a deficiency um, when cash flows were tested. So a uh, big change for the, the industry there uh, with those that first targeted improvement. Okay. The second targeted improvement really only uh, targets variable and fixed index annuities. Uh, that looks at uh, market risk benefits or secondary guarantees. Um, that are typically riders on these uh, these annuity type contracts. And under the current fr framework, there's two ways to reserve uh, for these secondary guarantees. And moving forward, uh, LDTI will set this as uh, um, this framework is only one way to reserve for these guarantees. And this will be uh, moving to uh, fair value. Um, so these changes in fair value um, will be required uh, to be recorded on the income statement. So uh, as a result, I think from this change, you're going to see earnings better reflect reality of a lot of these uh, guarantees uh, that are on these life insurance balance sheets. Uh, and then the last two changes are, are a little bit more simpler. Uh, deferred acquisition costs, those are now going to be amortized on a straight line basis. Right now, there's a number of ways to uh, value deferred acquisition costs and capitalize them on a balance sheet. But that's going to be more standard going forward. And then the last change is as a result of all these changes, we're going to see more enhanced disclosure um, that will help the investor really assess the value of the long term business. Uh, making life insurance, uh, I would say less of a black box for investors. Okay. I think that would be a positive development, making it simpler to analyze and value these companies. So that's a good thing. Um, maybe I can step back here and talk about this uh, discount rate. Um, do insurance companies uh, have any discretion? I know you said they're basing it on single A corporates, uh, but do they have any discretion in choosing the discount rate? And can you explain why, uh, if they do have discretion, why an insurance company might choose a, a higher or a lower discount rate? Yeah, I mean, I think um, going at the, the the improvement is definitely a, a positive. Uh, you're going to see some more standardization, but there is discretion with with this. Um, you could potentially see management teams uh, using different methodologies to come up with this corporate a bond uh, represent representation. Uh, they could uh, potentially have a you know more weight, higher weight to single a minus. Um, compared to another share that has uh, more single A pluses. Um, 
there's a lot of dispersion of, of just within those uh, three rating bands there. Uh, you potentially have the use of private placements, so that would include an illiquidity premium that would potentially you know, boost the yield there. Um, and then you kind of have the ability to choose the average rate over that reporting period, so over the course of that quarter, um, or the rate at quarter end to value um, those liabilities. So, um, and then if you have some longer data contracts with, uh, you know, durations that extend beyond 30 years, you know, the question is, you know, what do you really use uh, for a corporate aid that, you know, there's not a lot of bonds out there that, that go past 30 years. So um, it, it's, it's uh, you know, better than it was, but there will be some management discretion there uh, in terms of what rate and discount rate they choose. Uh, as a analyst, as an investor, we'll have to you know, look at those methodologies and compare them to their peers to get some perspective there and see which is more aggressive or conservative to uh, you know, value those liabilities. So let's wrap up by talking about the changes to insurance company credit profiles from this, uh, this new policy. Are, are you expecting any changes to these life insurance companies' cash flows or credit ratings or access to capital? Uh, you know, it, it kind of, uh, kind of to address some of those, uh, I think, starting with, the you know, credit profile, looking at the rating agencies commentary, um, you know, not on day one. Um, so, I mean, LETI is a pretty complex topic. Uh, it's going to take some time for investors to digest. Uh, but on day one, it doesn't affect the regulatory capital, doesn't affect, uh, affect cash flows, doesn't impact the economics of the life insurer's business model. So not going to be a ratings event. Um, you know, over time, if you see insurers adjusting, you know, uh, their business model or making strategic uh, acquisitions or uh, divestitures, yeah, you could see potentially some rating actions there. Um, and you know, that's kind of uh, a reason we've seen some private activity of closed blocks moving to private equity. Um, uh, uh, as a result of, you know, this LVTI transition is going to result in pretty volatile results quarter to quarter, um, uh, given, you know, the, some of those uh, changes we mentioned. Um, we also, uh, you know, expect uh, over the longer term um, that the increased disclosure and transparency is really going to help uh, investors and explain, you know, capital market risks. And the hope is that more disclosure improves valuations for these life insurers. But again, that's very complex. It's going to take some time for investors to adjust to this when they uh, see uh, these changes, these disclosures, um, likely in uh, April and May of next year, once we uh, go through first quarter reporting for these uh, public filers. Um, we'll see that in the, the 10 Qs. Hmm. I think it's probably a good place to wrap up. Uh, thanks a lot for providing us all that information. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime.
Yeah, I have a feeling you're going to get uh, a lot of questions as a result of this um, podcast. So uh, thank you. And of course, uh, we want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you have any questions, please reach out to your portfolio manager or our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, I'll be joined by Marco and another member of our investment team to discuss a timely issue affecting the fixed income markets. Thanks.